Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Happiness with Humans. I am Matt Phelan and I'm here with Laura Jujja. Um, Laura, um, welcome to the show. Um, as, as you know, I'm really bad at introducing people and I can't even pronounce my own surname. I hope I pronounced your name uh, correctly. Um, could you introduce yourself? Hello everyone. Hi Matt. Um, you did a good job with my surname. It's not an easy one. Um, so I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at London Business School in the Organizational Behaviour Department, where I study topics such as how people spend their time, engagement and happiness, and the future of work. I'm also a fellow at the Wellbeing Research Centre at the University of Oxford, where I study the impact of alternative ways of working. And I'm really thrilled to be here and looking forward to our conversation. So, uh, Laura, um, actually, uh, let's get the first question out of the way before I start tra- sidetracking the whole thing. Um, <laughs> What makes you happy, Laura? In all honesty, in, in, in all honesty, in my personal life, it's um, really little things, certain moments in the day, like walking on the beach and feeling the sand between my toes, um, saving little butterflies or any flies in the house. I actually do that a lot, and I do that a lot during lockdowns. <laughs> um, watching the sunset, sharing a laugh with a close friend, so this kind of things. Um, and then in my professional life, it's again kind of small things, you know, like helping a colleague, but also seeing that the work I do through my academic research has some kind of impact on people's lives. So a, a second personal question, right? I'm intrigued because of the, we both work in sort of related areas. Mm. So, you know, you said how it makes you happy that your research might be useful to other people. But yeah. do you ever find it's useful to yourself? Absolutely. Um, and... One of my one of my research streams is around understanding how to help people to disconnect from work. And mm. so work is a really big part of my uh, day and my identity. And I, to the very day, I still struggle a lot to stop working and taking time off. And I, you know, I know the research on the topic really well, and I know the benefits of disconnecting. And yet, I know it's hard because I have trouble doing that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I can definitely, yeah, I can definitely empathise with that as someone that, yeah. I think if you love what you do, it's difficult to stop it sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, but it is so important for so many things which probably we'll get into during our conversation. But yes, it's, it's difficult. No, thanks, Laura. So let's get into the first sort of technical question. But please tell us about um, your research studies that you've conducted into human happiness. Um, that's such a... Good and big question, right? You I know. I thought I'd like... straight off, straight off the bat, was a really difficult question. Yeah. Um, so let me just narrow it down because I think it would help. I study human happiness more of an in an indirect way by looking at the drivers of happiness, like mm. intrinsic motivation at work. And simply yep. put, intrinsic motivation is the extent to which we find the activities we engage in as you know fun, engaging, interesting. So basically, the love that we have for our work and when we engage in such activities, we, we tend to lose the sense of time, hence the expression time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. And in fact, in a series of studies with both students and employees conducted together with people from Cornell University, we find that those who pursue professional goals during um, time off, like national holidays, weekends, report feeling less intrinsically motivated to work. And so I think, you know, as we were talking before, this paper friendly back to existing research on the back of disconnecting from work, taking time yeah. off and actually spending this time off in optimal ways. And there's so much research showing that spending our time with friends and family, volunteering or engaging in hobbies, collectively referred to as active leisure activities, 
is positively linked to happiness and life satisfaction. And we don't need a lot of money to enjoy active leisure or even you know, go on an expensive holiday away from home. Recent, recent work suggests that by treating our weekend as a holiday, we tend to enjoy those weekends more. And my own personal take on this is that I try to create a weekend list of activities that I might want to do. Yeah. Don't look at it as a work list, right? I don't look at it as a to-do list. I, it's simply kind of a device for myself to make sure that I put some thought into how I want to spend my weekend versus just letting those two days um, slip by or you know, feel like I've done nothing in the weekend. That's so fascinating. So you, you take that, what is it, 104 days a year and, and, and you actually think <laughs> I you, pla- you plan it. I try. I, I should really emphasize it's really hard, right? So I try to um, kind of make a list of what I want to do. And I look at it as, as an optional thing, but it just makes me really put some forethought into what I want to do with those two days. And it's not that. about crossing off things on my to-do list or anything like that. It's just making sure that I am intentional with how I spend those two days. I think it's brilliant. I feel like you need to release this plan in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> on it, working on it. Uh, so, okay, so I, I know this is related to the same question, but there'll be a lot of people that are in sort of like, for, that are just interested in human happiness. How, how the hell did you even get into this stuff? How did you even know? Was it, was it, did you start getting into it via psychology? Like, what, how did you even get to start this research? That's a great question, and, and it's a complicated question to answer. But um, the straightforward answer is kind of randomly, kind of by chance, kind of by just reading um, articles on different topics, interacting with different people. I mean, I started in, um, I have a PhD in management, and I studied topics like power and ethics, just completely the opposite. I mean, very related, you know, but it, it's not really happiness. Um, I was. What was the sorry? What was the word before management? You said you studied something management. Oh, I have a PhD in management, and so I studied things like power and ethics, and yeah. trying to understand why do people want more power, and what people find, why do people behave unethically, and and so forth. And mm. I switched to happiness and and time and um, related topics to fight kind of reading different things and exploring what I was um, experiencing in my own personal life. And, and yeah, it was really random, to be honest. It wasn't that I was something yeah. I always wanted to study. It just happened that it, it just completely caught my attention again and again and again through the articles that I was reading, through the conversations that I had with yeah. researchers and my friends and so forth. No, I just find it fascinating because it, it leads into the next question. It's like, why do you think employee happiness is important? Which I know is a big question, but <laughs> I was trying to get into how you got to this point before. Right. So that's really useful. So why do you think employee happiness is important specifically? Oh, gosh, there's so many reasons why um, happiness is so important for employees. But my favorite one and the one that I keep going back to is that happiness can increase resilience meaning that it allows employees to better cope and overcome challenges they may face in their career and in their mm. works, right? So I think that to me is one of the most important reasons why employee happiness is important. So if, from a resilience perspective, that's what you <laughs> picked out from the beginning point? Yeah. Ah, oh, brilliant. I thought you said brilliance at first. I was like, wow, that's an amazing, that's an amazing reason. Because <laughs> it, it probably does increase your brilliance as well. But Absolutely, it's, it's, yeah. And, and it's you know, sorry, Matt. No, no, carry on. 
Yeah, and I do want to, you know, a kind of a side note, which I think people will not, I think um, organizational leaders will uh, appreciate this comment. There's actually recent research um, showing that employees who are happier are objectively more productive. So making sure that your employees are happy doesn't only ensure that your workforce is healthy, but also matters for the bottom line. Yeah. Now, if, so let's get into the actual research and findings then. So tell us about your latest research, Laura. Gladly. Um, so I'll tell you about one of my most recent studies, which we're actually still in the process of analyzing the data, but it's turning out to be one of my favorite studies yet. So I can't tell you all the details, but I'll tell you the gist. Oh, Laura, you can't come on here and say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'll like it. Hold on. Um, so over the summer, we partnered with an emerging consumers good company that is operating globally. So they have offices in South America, North America, the UK, the Nordics, and even Sri Lanka and Pakistan. And our goal was to examine whether giving employees time to focus on important but not urgent work tasks would improve not only their happiness at work, but also improve their uh, performance. And we call this gift of time as pro-time that stands for proactive time because it encourages mm. them to be more critical and intentional about how they approach their time at work. Yeah. To understand whether pro-time causally or you know, leads to improve happiness and performance, we randomly assign employees to either the control group or the life as usual group who would not yet benefit from engaging in pro-time or the pro-time group. And employees in the tour time group were instructed to first set aside a 30-minute weekly planning session where they would make a list of their work tasks and organize them in terms of priority and importance. And second, employees in the tour time group were also instructed to block two hours in their calendar, four days a week, add one, yeah. two, maximum two tasks that were important but not urgent to them, so basically on strategic creative process uh, projects that were business relevant, and turn off any distractions or uh, interactions as much as possible. So like putting your phone in airplane mode, putting do not disturb on digital communication and, and, and the likes. And after six weeks uh, of engaging in full-time, we found that employees in the full-time group compared to those in the control group reported a 10% increase in performance, self-reported performance. And among the employees who were able to stick with full-time for at least four weeks of the six, we also found a 6% decrease in burnout. Wow, that's a 6% decrease in burnout. Yeah. and That is huge. And in ongoing interviews, actually, with these employees, what we learned is that these results might have been even stronger if employees could have engaged in pro-time for as much as they wanted to. Wow. So let's, let's, for the listeners, let's repeat that bit, Laura. What, what led to the 6% the decrease? Pro-time. So just having two hours, four days a week for six weeks where you can just focus on uh, tasks that are important but not urgent, the things that we just push aside because we constantly react to whatever comes in our inbox or messages yeah. and just, you know, do yeah. what it's called, I guess, in, in the popular press as deep work, right? Like just really zooming in on a project. And yeah, and, and, you, and you said, I'm sorry to keep it, you said four Four hours, two days a week. Is that Sorry, right? it's um, it's two hours for four days, and the whole pilot took six weeks. Wow. So again, I know I, I'm. So it's so it's two hours, it's four days in the week, in one week, right? Yes. For four days. And then you did it for six. Yeah, weeks. exactly. And and that 
Wow, and that and that re- results in a six percent decrease in burnout. If people were able to stick to the pro time for at least four of the six weeks, and it was, you I, know, it's really hard. Um, well, I only I only like to really keep capturing that, Laura, because I know there's going to be so many, for example, HR directors that are listening that are going to be struggling with burnout at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that's really good practical advice with 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 numbers that people can go to the board and say, look, this is some research that that Laura's been doing. Right. Um, and start to quote it so that's so useful to hear thank you absolutely and i'd love to, to chat with whomever would want to to know more about this research and i do want to emphasize you know we focused on those two hours being about business critical work that just tends to be pushed aside you can be creative about those two hours especially during this time of working at home and so forth where i think it's really easy for uh, work to just expand in all hours of the day and constantly work. Totally. And so you can think of those two hours as also setting them aside to disconnect from work, to actually spend time with family and friends. And some of the employees in our study did that, actually, and they found it to be important. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I again, I personally think that these results are really encouraging in light of the context that we are in, meaning that it's an emerging yeah. consumer's good company, right? So just barely two years old and employees were constantly struggling with new things coming up all the time, and they're also adjusting to remote work as a result of COVID. So I think they're really promising. And, and I can um, I can send, or you could probably put in the show notes, um, an article that we wrote last year, which was with a different company as a smaller pilot before COVID. So it's, it's really interesting to see that it comes back again, that this pro time or setting aside time for things that you're going to do in a you know controlled way, in a structured way, is really beneficial. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is fantastic, Laura. And I've got my favourite question coming up now. Oh, by the way, before I move on, have you got any other stats and stuff that you want to give us? Because we love stats on this show. Is there anything that I've like I'm about to gloss over that you're like, oh, I really want to tell everyone. That. I want to. It's not a stat, but I do want to say that as a result of this research, we're now working with a company and the local leaders to make ProTime um, a company-wide policy that would allow employees to engage in ProTime on a regular basis and you know, start to yeah. change the way we work because we just we constantly react and it's really important to also be proactive and engaged. Yeah, my, 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 I've always had it. I've had a coach for the last 15 years and his description of that would be strategic discipline. Yeah. Um, and I always have that in my head to think about because it's so easy in this world because your phone's lighting up at all different at all different times, isn't it? Trying to get your attention. Yes, it's hard. Um, you know, it's really hard because we do value and somehow unintentionally kind of reward people who are responding right away, are super fast. You know, we're creating a culture of responsiveness that doesn't allow us to get to our actual work. Yeah. No, thank thank you. Um, on to my favorite question, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, what is the most surprising thing that you found in your research? You know, I love this question. And I'll speak of a different study of mine where together with Vanessa Burns, professor at Cornell University, we find that people underestimate how compelled someone else feels to reply to their non-urgent work emails sent during time off, you know, that time when you're not expected to work. And the reason I think this finding is surprising is because we are largely unaware of the role that we have in perpetuating unhealthy work cultures and even norms mm. in society that undermine our happiness in the long term. That that is so fascinating because I think just to touch on WhatsApp for a second mm-hmm. here, because um, so many work teams 
have sort of they informally communicate on WhatsApp and we do it in our teams sometimes. Yeah. Um, even though there's a whole, it, it, there's even a, a sort of a GDPR issue around all that as well and around compliance. But just from a human mm-hmm. level, more often than not, it's kind of also on that person's yeah. mobile phone. So uh, you've got some message about some mission critical something to do with the share price that might get sent on a Sunday. And, and that message may appear to the message next to the person's mm-hmm. button. Um, and, I, and I do think research and, and, and awareness into that, the boundaries of it is really important. What, what do you think about oh, that? Oh, I, I completely agree. And I think particularly, you know, we were already seeing the boundaries between our professional and our personal life kind of dissipating before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic was an enabler to completely removing those boundaries and, and kind of realizing that there's, there's a lot going on that we need to take care of um, collectively, yeah. right? And someone used the term, and I really liked it, and I think we're kind of heading that way, um, digital wellness, right? We need to understand what with norms totally. around what is acceptable and how and create a culture that respects each other's time. Yeah. No, and I yeah, and I think everyone can accidentally be guilty of it every now and then. And I think you've got you you've got to call yourself out when you've done it, haven't you? And 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 and, and share it. Like I think we said I'm on the other po- podcast. Like I found that little um, you can schedule what if you use Gmail when you send an right. email. So sometimes I think of something to send my team on a Sunday, but I just schedule it to mm-hmm. send it on Monday because I don't want to. I don't want them to think they've got a reply to it. So it's so <laughs> great that you've that you've that you've been looking oh, at that area. So, Laura, if I may, actually, um, there's another trick. There's yeah, another trick that we've learned through this research because you are right. You know, it's kind of we're unaware because we're looking at our inbox, thinking, "I want to get this off my desk, right? I want to empty yeah. my inbox." We're not thinking about the other person. We're just wanting to get it off my our plate. But the other person yeah. receiving it, you know, on the end, uh, they're like, "Oh my god, they might want an answer right away." Especially if you're sending it during time off, it kind of feels it's urgent and. And so what I've seen happening in one of the practice, which is a very practical advice, is to put a footer in the email to signal that, you know, those are the work hours that work for you. You don't expect the other person to mimic the same hours, right? And kind of setting the right tone there. Yeah. Yeah. No, especially when you've, especially when you're in a global business and you've got, you've got time zones all over the shop and who knows, yeah, who knows at what time and where someone is when you're messaging them. Exactly. So, Laura, I've got this book out, Freedom to Be Happy. It's out on the 4th of November. Um, and I'm going to get you to do some of my work for me here, with <laughs> which is the book is about, it's supposed to empower people to make their business case for happiness. And, 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 and that's why I'm meeting with amazing researchers like you, so that some people will take different bits of research from other people. But if, if a listener is trying to build a business case for happiness... What's the one bit of evidence that, that would you would suggest they cite in there? Because I know we had this chat before the call around how good business cases are around storytelling evidence and, and the frontline practitioner stuff. But if you've got the, the CEO, they're about to present, let's, let's picture it, to this big, huge company, all the shareholders, they're only caring about profit. But the CEO is about to stand up and the CEO's text you, Laura, and said, Laura, can you just give me one little gem that's going to really help this business case? What would you... What would you go for? <laughs> I totally understood this question a little bit differently. Um, so on the spot, I would say, and then I'll tell you my other answer, but on the spot, I think I would say um, it's time that we don't disregard, that we stop disregarding soft skills 
um, and tough issues in the workplace like happiness because those are drivers of the hard issues such as productivity. And if you, if you ignore them, you're actually hurting your bottom line, right? Because there's so much evidence yeah. now that, that that matters. Now, the answer that I was thinking of, and then you can see if that's relevant or not, but there's so, like, I, I do think there's so many amazing resources out there to pick out from. And it's great that you have this book that is kind of putting everything together. Um, but if I had to pick, you know, another good recommendation, it's actually, I would recommend a recent book from one of my collaborators, Dan Cable, called Exceptional, where he points out that we often focus on our weaknesses and that um, in our quest to improve ourselves and others, we just try to summarize what's wrong and we try to focus on our flows. Yet his research summarized in his book suggests that we have it backwards, that we can actually get closer to the best version of ourselves and achieve better impact in the world if we start focusing and emphasizing our strengths. And I think it's such a powerful message yep. that we can you know, that can be applied in our personal and professional life and that organizational leaders should really start to pay attention to. I love that, Laura. And I, I also like, like, I know it was just the, the prelude to your answer, but just how you say it, like seeing happiness mm -hmm. as a driver of the things like productivity and by not focusing on it, you're cutting off the source of what can actually lead to things like productivity. Exactly, yeah. So I think it's really refreshing just to hear you say that for all of us listening because sometimes we're all you're working on all the data we're getting stuck in this that and the other but it's just a very good reminder that it is a driver of these things and and, and you see it as a flow absolutely through yeah and and you can also just think about it. it it can you can think about it also in hard numbers right that if people are unhappy they're more likely to be disengaged work slower quit faster um, be sick and take sick days and that does also you know translate into lost hours of productivity which you would otherwise have if your employees are happy and engaged and they're really bringing you know all they have to the work hours that they have Laura um, I'm just going to crowbar another question in here because we're, we're out of time and we're out of questions <laughs> but there's something I specifically sure. want to ask you um, which is what we talked about before I've, I've got this bit of obsession around um, we talk, we've, we're surfacing a lot of things on diversity in companies, but we don't surface age diversity enough for me. Um, and like, I even look at it like you'll get a FTSE 100 company in London and their target market might be 20 year olds, but they don't have any 20 year olds mm. on their board because to go on their board, you've got to have 400 <laughs> years of experience. Um, you have, I've gone out and done my research of who all the researchers are. You are probably about 20 years younger. Um, than, than other researchers that I've spoken to in the, and, and on my list. Um, I want to encourage other people that are listening um, that are of all different ages. I want some 90-year-olds <laughs> as well and 100-year-olds. Can you give us a message to other people in academia um, to inspire them to get more of their... Because a lot of this stuff, like the, 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 the NHS mm -hmm. one, we had a few episodes... The, the, the information has been there since 2012, but people don't know about it in, in what I call the normal real world. Um, can you give us some, a bit of encouragement for other researchers and other academics to come out and, and talk about um, their right. research? Right, um, absolutely. And I think this is a topic, like could be a topic for a whole podcast, if you may. <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to have to get you back. But I think it's, um, you know, it, it's not something that I said, but it's something that a lot of researchers um, resonate and I've said it before 
I think our job as a researcher doesn't stop at just doing the research and moving on to the next next piece of research within the academic sphere. It, it's also, I think, part of our job to communicate that research to the wider public and to those who can actually take that research and put it into action. And I think, you know, it's not, I think it's, it's, it's something, a structural change that we're seeing happening, right? It's not something that we're used to in academia to do. We're presenting at academic conferences and, and in some cases it's better than others. But I think we're seeing a movement, some progress towards researchers and practitioners starting to work more together and realizing that there's a lot of insights in research that can be applied into practice. I think the two worlds just tend to move much slower. So yeah, I mean, to summarize, I think it's our job as researchers to try as much as we can to also get that knowledge out. No, I think this law is such a such a great way of looking at it. Um, and in summary, I do there's I do think think in just business and academic academia and, and life in general, um, people forget the fun <laughs> word. And I just want to summarize by saying like the research you shared with us like around that burnout bit is just massive, but you've made it really fun and accessible. So Absolutely. thank you um, for giving up your time because I know you've been so busy for just coming on. I can like feel your positive energy across the airwaves. So just a thank you from me and our listeners, Laura. For, well, thank for you so time. much for having me. And this is a great way of making research known to the wider public. So I think you're doing a fantastic job as well. Thanks, Laura. And I suspect we're going to need to get you back when that when you've got more data on that research as well, because we'll want to hear about what you've been up to. So hopefully... We'll Absolutely. We'd be glad to be here again. Um, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Laura. See you. Bye. Soon.